Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've become aware this last week of what's called the Watchman Decree. And this is a, a decree that has been spoken out um, in large gatherings of the RAT Reawaken America Tour, which is already underway. It's uh, going across the United States. I know of it, at least it happening at one place in New York City with you know, 3,000 people or so. Um, this Watchman Decree has been viewed at least 3 million times on Twitter in the last uh, month. And anyway, I find aspects of this very troubling and I want to, um, you know, kind of exegete it, go through it and analyze it uh, together with you and just see what we can, um, what we can discern about it and how we can evaluate it. I'd like to start out, um, by doing that. And then I want to move to presenting, um, something that we call the Jesus pledge that I will, um, I will close with. And the Jesus pledge is something that a friend of mine, John Shorak, who's a missionary who worked with, who works with, uh, interchange, who was in Venezuela for many, many years and is now in Colombia. He and I worked on this together back, uh, in 2013. And, uh, so I'm going to close with that as an alternative and as kind of a response to this Watchman Decree. So uh, let's read the first couple lines of the Watchman Decree. As a patriot of faith, I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission. Okay, so whoever's writing this um, is identifying themselves as a patriot. And, um, and that it's assumed that this is an American patriot, you know, someone who embraces uh, the U.S. Constitution we learn that later in the document. Um, this person defines themselves as a patriot of faith. So if a believer um, in we don't know what, because that's not clarified, faith in Jesus, faith in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, we don't know. Um, and that's immediately followed with something that's also very unclear. I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God can be defined in many ways. You know, the... Um, the, in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was understood in, uh, in a myriad of ways, everything from something that could take place here on earth to something that was clearly uh, something that could only happen way in the future um, in another, um, another age, you know, with, uh, you know, with the fulfillment of so many of God's promises, uh, you know, that would be required. And, but anyway, the kingdom of God uh, has been understood to be um, being implemented by, say, colonial powers or even like the Crusades. And, um, and so there's been a lot of damage done by embracing a notion of a kingdom of God that is not um, clearly defined. And the Gospels themselves use that term all over the place. But uh, to really understand what the kingdom of God is about and to what extent it, it will come, in our lifetimes or, you know, prior to Jesus's return is, um, you know, that really needs to be studied. You know, uh, there's many parables about the kingdom that show it to be somewhat of a mystery. But, um, but anyway, the kingdom of God has often been confused with a political ideology, a political power, a nation state, a government. And so uh, attesting our allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God uh, with no mention of the king Jesus himself 
is uh, is problematic. And uh, the second uh, allegiance, uh, pledge of allegiance, is to the Great Commission. Now, those of us that are um, knowledgeable about the Gospels, we know that the Great Commission is referring to the end of Matthew 28, when Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So as you go, he says to his disciples, uh, make disciples of all the nations, of all the non-Jews, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so I certainly am about following that great commission. and um, But even more, I want to be under the authority of the great commissioner himself, who's Jesus. And uh, separating the kingdom of God and the great commission from the king and the commissioner, I think, are problematic uh, and create confusion right from the start in this document. Um, the second line, or second um, statement here is, secondly, I'd agree, I agree to be a watchman over our nation concerning its people and their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, that's really interesting in the sense that um, here somebody is agreeing to something that, um, you know, who has asked this person to be a watchman? Uh, God doesn't call us to be a watch person over our uh, citizens of our particular nation. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. I see calls for people to be watch persons over the people of God, like in um, many of the prophetic uh, traditions of the Old Testament, we see that watch persons are on the walls of Jerusalem and they're, they're watching for, um, you know, for activity, the enemy, you know, coming and trying to, you know, trying to come in. And, and clearly that role of, of looking out um, on the world and, um, and, you know, being a prophetic um, observer, that is important. But what's interesting about this document is it's it's mixing up this call to be a watchman with, you know, some of the statements that are part of the, you know, the American uh, Declaration of Independence, you know, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is that the, the work of the follower of Jesus to be watching over uh, the nation concerning their rights or everybody's rights? In some ways, that's quite a noble um task and, and noble language here to be worried about everyone's rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we're talking about, you know, all people's rights and, um, you know, really that, um, that, you know, that commitment to really being about, um, you know, like equal rights, you know, for all peoples of every racial ethnic group and every social class. Um, I mean, that, that's a noble endeavor, but is that the primary role of a Christian? Um, I'd like to keep going here and um, and look at uh, a bunch of whereases that um, continue in this watchman decree. Whereas we, the church, are God's governing body on the earth. Are we God's governing body on the earth? Is that the church's role right now to govern over the earth? Um, are we delegated that responsibility? I, I wasn't aware of that. I don't really see anywhere in the Bible where uh, the church is given that role to to be God's government, to run our world. Um, you know, maybe when Jesus returns, he's, he describes the, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, you know, the, the apostles being over um, on, on thrones and judging the world. 
okay, but we are not in that period yet. Um, and for us to be, you know, in this governing role, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where that's coming from exactly. I'd be curious uh, what the writers of this decree, you know, where they're where they're rooting this idea. Uh, second, whereas whereas we have been given legal power from heaven, and now exercise our authority. Okay, legal power from heaven to do what? And authority over what? You know, clearly Jesus does give authority. You know, in Matthew chapter ten, he gives authority to the twelve to, um, you know, to, uh, to go out and to preach the good news and to heal the sick, uh, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. Um, you know, Jesus gives power and authority to the 70, or first to the 12, and then he gives authority to the 70 to, uh, you know, to proclaim the kingdom of God. But um, here, the, the, the realm of authority, you know, which Jesus mainly... Uh, identifies as the authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal the sick and um, and also to bind and to loose. Um, you know, those those are very specific kinds of authority. And, uh, and, and here it's not defined. The third, whereas, whereas we are God's ambassadors and spokespeople over the earth. Okay, yes, we're God's ambassadors. And we speak um, on behalf of God. We're made in the image of God. Whereas through the power of God, we are the world influencers. Okay, we we can have influence uh, through the power of God, yes. Whereas because of our covenant with God, we are equipped and delegated by him to destroy every attempted advance of the enemy. Okay, now that clearly needs to be defined um, because nowhere are we uh, called to be equipped and delegated to destroy uh, human beings, okay, who... Uh, who may be advancing uh, in the form of, a, of an enemy army or, uh, you know, or a cartel or a, you know, criminal organization or, uh, you know, a political party or a militia or, um, you know, or a tyranny of any kind. Um, here, there's a need for a lot more clarity, um, you know, and we're not the ones that are called to destroy, you know, we're the ones who are called to um you know, to send away evil spirits to the feet of Jesus, um, but not to destroy them, to, um, you know, to heal the sick and, uh, and very specific other things that Jesus modeled. Um, but for us to be uh, equipped and um, delegated by God to destroy, that, um, that can be very easily misunderstood, misunderstood as empowering people to actually kill other human beings. So, uh, and the basis of those whereas, as the writers say, we make our declarations. One, we decree that America's executive branch of government will honor God and defend the Constitution. Now, um, who are we to make a declaration or a, de a decree that America's executive branch of government will do anything? You know, um, we are uh, members of, of a society. We're, we're citizens. And so as citizens, we have um, responsibilities and rights, you know, the right to vote, to, to engage in political activities, that kind of thing. But to decree that America's executive branch um, honor God, um, you know, never did Jesus uh, force anybody to, um, to do anything, to honor God, to uh, follow him, to obey um, the Ten Commandments, to obey his teachings. Um, you know, human beings have free will, and there's a call to conversion and a call to repentance. 
but uh, decreeing in this way is just going way beyond any authority that we have, in my view. Number two, we decree that our legislative branch, Congress, will write only laws that are righteous and constitutional. Okay, now if we here are fellow are following followers of Jesus Christians, you know, people that have that are patriots of faith, who attest our allegiance to the kingdom of God and to the Great Commission, then this is looking like um, a theocracy. Like this is um, like the writers seem to be assuming that 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 the church that that Christians can you know make decrees to uh, so that Congress so that our um, lawmakers will you know will write laws that are in agreement you know with uh, you know with the principles of of Christian faith I guess with the scriptures uh, number three we decree that our judicial system will issue rulings that are biblical and constitutional okay well I don't see that how that can be uh, the role of of, of any of us to make those kind of decrees, you know, um, you know, we have a judicial branch of government that is uh, under the rule of law that, um, you know, we have lawmakers that, uh, that decide through a whole democratic process, what the laws of the land are. And so is this, uh, is this document here? Is this, is this decree suggesting um, sort of a, a dictatorship? of you know of people of faith who are who are declaring what you know what's going to be you know how the government's going to run uh, rather than it being um you know the people who are, are doing this in a democratic way number four we declare that we stand against wokeness the occult and every evil attempt against our nation okay well who defines what wokeness is you know uh who defines um what the occult is and and what every evil attempt against our nation is. Um, there's no clarity about, about how that's even defined. You know, uh, some people would say um, that if you're for vaccines, you're woke. Or if you are for masks, you're woke. Or if you are for the supporting um, Ukrainian military against Russia, that you're woke. Who defines woke? Um, is it, uh, is it the, defined by the, you know, by the, by the Democratic Party of, um, in terms of their political agenda, you know, is it defi who defines it and um, who defines what is an evil attempt against our nation? You know, this really puts, um, you know, puts a lot of power in um, in in the opinions of whoever is, you know, is leading these declarations, doesn't it? Number five, we declare that we now take back our God-given freedoms according to our Constitution. Okay, so um, we're going to take this back rather than, um, you know, rather than, I guess, um, advocate for, you know, for some of our, you know, some of our uh, pr preferred approaches to how, uh, you know, how our nation should be run. I mean, all of this sounds very authoritarian. Number six, we declare that we take back influence at the local level in our communities. We decree that we take back and permanently control positions of influence and leadership in each of the seven mountains. Now, this idea of um, of the seven mountains, you know, this this notion of the seven mountains, the definition of the seven mountains, that's referring to, you know, some um, different people who have in the past written about these spheres of influence that that they believe 
Christians are, are called to, uh, to step into and engage in becoming influencers in these realms. Like one of them would be government, the other would be the arts, the other would be media, uh, the military, um, business, um, you know, education. And so, sure, Christians, um, we need to be involved in the world and and to be advancing in some of these domains and to be uh, salt and light. You know, Jesus says, let your light so shine before people that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, we're called into, um, you know, to be in the world, but to not be of the world and, you know, and to be full of grace and truth and to grow in wisdom and stature in favor uh, with God and with people like Jesus was. Okay, so yes, of course, being um, in these realms is valuable. But here, this decree is that is that we, um, these patriots of faith, would take back and permanently control positions of influence and leadership. So this is more than just being influencers. This is about us actually wielding power from, um, you know, through having taking control and hanging on to that control and and really reigning and ruling um, over uh, over our nation in some, um, I think, theocratic way. That's what this sounds like to me. And um, this is not something that we really see Jesus or any of the characters in the New Testament doing. Like, just look at John the Baptist, for instance. John the Baptist, um, when he preaches, it, it mentions um, in the 15th year, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Aichurea and Trachonitis and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, there's there's some mountains right there. The mountain of the Roman Empire, okay, uh, Caesar. The, the mountain of, of Judea, uh, Pontius Pilate was in charge of that. Uh, Herod uh, over Galilee. Okay, so there's these mountains that are mentioned, so to speak, according to the language of the seven mountains. And then you have religion, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. Well, check it out. This is um, Luke chapter 3 now, verse um, 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Okay, so he wasn't um, up on one of these um, mountains in, the, in these places of authority, but he was in the, in the wilderness. And, and it says, John came into all the district around the Jordan. Okay, well, the Jordan River is one of the low points in on the planet, really. I mean, the Dead Sea is probably the lowest uh, elevation in anywhere on the planet. And so this is definitely a low place, and it's a borderland. So John the Baptist, the word of the Lord came to him, um, and he went into all the district around the borderlands. And what did he do? Um he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So there's no mention of, of any kind of um, coming into the positions of power, trying to influence uh, Caesar or Pilate or Herod. Um, he spoke prophetically to those, um, well, at least to Herod, um, we know, and that's what got him arrested and eventually uh, decapitated. But um, God's word didn't go to these places of power, but actually went to the margins and mobilized John to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then we have this citation from Isaiah chapter 40. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So the whole focus of 
John the Baptist and John as a forerunner and as um, a type of, you know, uh, of character that, that we're called to follow behind and to act in a similar way um, because John prepared the way for the Lord and, and we have that sort of preparatory function. And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, John, is telling a, a, a plural audience, you all make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's the role that we're to do is to make the way of the Lord, um, the path straight for the Lord, not try to govern from these seven mountains. In fact, um, it says that when this happens, almost like automatically, verse 5, every ravine will be filled or every valley will be filled. Okay, in other words, the low places uh, will be filled up. That's the first thing that's mentioned, not the high places, not the mountains, but the but the valleys. Okay, why do the seven mountains people never talk about, say, the seven valleys, which would be the low points? Like, um, I can think of seven um, you know, low places um, in our world, like uh, one would be like global poverty, another would be um, species extinction and, uh, you know, global warming, another would be um, mass incarceration, um, you know, um, what about just drug addiction and alcoholism and homelessness and uh, and just racial injustice, you know, there's these, there are these low points, but uh, God is, uh, here the prophet Isaiah is saying that these ravines will be filled when uh, people are making ready the way of the Lord and making his path straight. And, you know, when this baptism of repentance um, for the forgiveness of sins is being announced. And every mountain and hill will be brought low. So rather than these mountains and hills being high points from which, you know, the uh, the believers, followers of Jesus reign and rule, they're described as being brought low. Um, and by whom? apparently by, by God, because this, this is like the divine passive that is used here. Um, every mountain will be, and hill will be brought low, the crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So really, the, the whole purpose of, of John's coming is to prepare the way for the one who's coming um, in such a way that all people are going to see this one. And this is really the core of what the Christian faith is about. When we look at, um, you know, um, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We have this famous story in Matthew 20, where the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. Um, and he said, what do you wish? And she said to him, command, or you could say decree, that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine, might sit on your right and on your left. Okay, so here's an opportunity for Jesus to um, to really affirm this mandate of of taking uh, authority and ruling and reigning from a position of being above. Right, um, a notion of the kingdom that was common, you know, among a lot of people, and that I think is common today, um, especially in the politicization of the faith that we see happening with. Um, so especially in this Make America Great Again um, movement. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Um, so these people don't have a clue of, of Jesus's kingdom and when he's going to come into his kingdom. They imagine that Jesus is going to be seizing power and, um, and ruling and reigning. 
from one of the high places, the high, one of the seven mountains. And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared for my father. Now, who were these that were prepared by the father to be at his right and his left? And when does Jesus come into his kingdom? Well, it's really clear that um, in Matthew's gospel that Jesus comes into his kingdom when he is arrested um, and he is brought before Pilate and he's mocked, okay? Um, he's being accused of calling himself the king of the Jews and um, and he's called on, um, the, the Jewish leaders call on Pilate to crucify him. And, um, and so anyway, Jesus is mocked. He's, uh, the soldiers, um, they strip him and they put a scarlet robe on him. This is Matthew 27, 28. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and they took a reed and they began to beat him on the head. And as they mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off and they put on his own garments and they led him away to crucify him. And, and when they led him away um, and, they, and they crucified him, they put above his head um, the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And who's at his right and his left? Verse 38, at that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So here we see really clearly, I think, um, the upside down nature of the kingdom of God and how Jesus um, is enthroned really on the cross, you know, when he is rejected by his own people and he's crucified by the authorities. And, um, and it's there, you know, at his death that he defeats death and he defeats the principalities and the powers. And on the third day, he rises from the dead and, um, you know, and he appears to his disciples and he commissions them to, um, you know, to, to engage in uh, bearing witness um, of him in, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when the disciples ask him, is now the time that you're going to establish uh, Israel? You know, is it going to be now that the government, um, the kingdom of God is going to actually come through all the, the fulfillment of all these prophecies where Zion is going to be the, the highest mountain? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the day or the hour, but you will be my witnesses. Um, you know, and, and we're called to bear witness the way that Jesus did. And, um, and we're told that our, uh, what we can expect is very similar to, to what Jesus had uh, experienced in terms of people rejecting us. You know, Matthew 10 is just so clear. And what I find in um, these decrees and declarations of this watchman decree it's just um, an absence of any understanding of the way of suffering. And um, that is just our lot as followers of Jesus, you know, who, um, you know, who will not and cannot expect to actually achieve uh, power over. But really, we come as humble servants and bearing witness to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Um, he says, beware of people, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. 
but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it's the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So they're being, they're speaking from a place of being detained, of being, uh, you know, under arrest, of, of being brought before, um, with charges against them before the authorities. And and then persecution is described. But whenever they persecute you in one city, verse 23, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. In other words, we can expect to be fleeing from one place to the other until Jesus returns uh, as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. Um, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. Okay, like if they've called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members? Okay, so we're going to be maligned worse than Jesus was. Therefore, um, you know, don't fear them, Jesus says, though, right? Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. So um, Jesus goes on uh, further and further um, down in chapter 10, describing um, the lot of his followers um, as is leading to the same sort of persecution, which is why he says, you know, take up my cross, take up your cross and follow me. So if we keep going on some of these decrees, um, for, uh, decree number eight, we decree that the blood of Jesus covers and protects our nation. Okay, well, um, is that really the case? Uh, does the blood of Jesus cover the secular nation? I mean, it was, the blood of Jesus was shed for the sins of the world, yes. But also, I think people need to embrace and and um, welcome that covering. And conversion is is really important. Decreeing that over our nation, um, and I believe that this is true. It protects and separates us for God. Yes, uh, but does it protect us? Well, I mean, in a certain way, definitely. But does it mean that we won't be persecuted? Does it mean we may not be martyred? No. Um, Nine, we declare that our nation is energy independent. I don't know how we can declare that, um, but it's clearly a political statement there. Ten, we declare that America is strong spiritually, financially, militarily, and technologically. What about confessing our weakness, our spiritual weakness, and our financial bankruptcy, and our, uh, you know, other aspects of, of just speaking truth to about our situation of our of the crisis that we're in. How do we declare just the opposite? It's just this, just this about the power of positive thinking. We decree that evil carries no power, authority, or rights in our land, nor over our people. Okay, well, that decree doesn't seem to be really achieving anything because we're still seeing mass shootings. You know, we're still seeing um, just so much gun violence, so much, um, so many deaths still from COVID and from other diseases. And, um, you know, and just a lot of corruption, a lot of chaos um, all over our country. So I think just thinking that we can make a decree that strips evil of its power just by by speaking that out, um, to me, is super presumptuous. And I don't see what spiritual foundation or scriptural foundation there, that these writers have for this. Twelve, we decree that we operate in unity, going beyond denominational lines in order to accomplish the purposes of God for our nation. Would that be true? You know, would that there be a humility and a willingness to actually sit down and discuss all of these points with people that come from different, um, you know, different faith perspectives, different um, uh, denominational and, you know, and even theological persuasions. Um, 
talking about a document like this, I think is important and valuable and uh, challenging one another is good. And we decree that America shall be saved. Okay, well, is this, are the writers here talking about Americans? Can we declare that every American will be saved? Um, if it's talking about America as a nation, this goes directly against um, the, some basic teachings of the scriptures that talk about the destiny of the principalities and powers of the non-human structures um, of this world. Like uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, when he says, um, then comes the end after he has um, destroyed every rule, every authority, every power, and every, you know, um, all these things it are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, that the, the end of these, of these uh, creatures, these non-human creatures, that uh, creations that are part of, um, that aren't evil in, of themselves, but that are finite, okay? And I think we need to be really, really careful that we're not declaring something that, um, you know, that the scriptures are really countering, like, uh, you know, just 1 Corinthians 15, for he must reign, Jesus must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. Um, before that, um, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has abolished all rule, that's um, arche, and all authority, exousia, and power, dunamis. These are categories that are the language of, you know, the nation state, of the party, of the ideology, of the denomination, of the you know, the, the nonprofit, you know, the, whatever it is. Um, for he must reign until he's put all of his under, enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. So will America be saved? No. I think America as, a, as an entity is doomed to die like, like uh, Pharaoh's Egypt was. Because the way that salvation happens is not through the powers. It's through... Um, the King of Kings, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. Uh, I'm going to continue reading. We know this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Okay, there's a lot of people that question that. Um, you know, we have uh, a nation that was founded, um, you know, by a lot of Masons, and some claim to be Christians. Um, we, you know, we were, we were a nation of immigrants that came and, and took land from Native peoples, um, we built up large uh, areas of our country through slave labor of African slaves. Um, there's a lot um, that is assumed here that we're, that, you know, in saying that we're founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We know the truth, therefore. We stand for truth and will never be deceived. That's presumptuous to say that we will never be deceived. One of the main things Jesus says is, watch out. Many deceivers will come to deceive many, right? Um we will never stop fighting. Okay, that's pretty macho, pretty presumptuous. We're just gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna hang in there and just never be tired, and just never give up. We will never, ever, ever, um, all in, um, you know, capital letters, give up or give in. We will take our country back. We will honor the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once again, no mention of Jesus here. Um, who most fully reveals uh, the Father, and who is the Son of God, who the Father sends. And in conclusion, um, the last words are, America shall be saved. So 
there's my critique and uh, I'd like to look now or read to you now um, something that my friend John Shorak and I wrote called the Jesus Pledge, which uh, I welcome your um, your critique and uh, your thoughts about this. This is something that um, you know we've worked on. It's what is the Jesus Pledge? A declaration of faith and repentance by American Christians who believe that we have given an allegiance to the nation and the white race that compromises our allegiance to Jesus and makes light of our more fundamental identity and vocation as brothers and sisters in the global multi-ethnic body of Christ. Okay, here's the pledge, the Jesus pledge. As a follower of Jesus, who is a citizen of the United States, I am troubled when God's name is identified with my country's wars and Christians remain silent or actively promote these aggressions as ordained by God. I believe that uniting God's name with the government and its leaders is idolatrous and a hindrance to the witness of the church. Killing our enemies or relegating people of color to being second-class citizens denies Jesus' call to love our enemies, make peace with our adversaries, and to join him as a friend of sinners. This is the time for genuine, widespread repentance and change. As a follower of Jesus, I renounce allegiances to nation that would lead me to justify the use of violence and war that are incompatible with Jesus' teachings and his witness on the cross. I affirm God's mission for the church to serve as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, announcing forgiveness, promoting healing, peace, and reconciliation by loving and blessing those considered adversaries and enemies. Like Jesus, I say yes to the kingdom of God and no to all allegiances that compromise the furthering of that kingdom. I renounce a spirit of national pride, racial superiority, and collective self-interest that pursues our country's dominance for our own economic and material benefit and security and seeks to preserve the white privilege status domestically. I affirm that my primary earthly place of belonging, identity, and loyalty is in Jesus Christ and his body, the borderless, worldwide family of God. And I embrace God's way of humility, service, and love of God and neighbor. I confess that God so loved the world, and he sent me with that same love to all, even my country's enemies. I renounce the lie that America is God's elect ambassador of freedom and Christian values whose mission justifies and requires the sacrifice of human lives. I affirm God's kingdom as manifested through Jesus's public ministry, death and resurrection, and through the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. I confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior who overcame the power of evil on the cross, agreeing with Jesus's call to undivided allegiance to God. No one can serve two masters. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all and your neighbor as yourself. So I want to encourage you to just be thinking about how do you, um, what does it mean for you to be um, a follower of Jesus as the King of Kings and to be about the kingdom of God and announcing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? What does that mean? And I want to encourage you um, that if you run into f fellow believers who who have a more um, theocratic understanding of just, uh, you know, government run on Christian principles. Um, you know, maybe you know, you'll run into someone who embraces this watchman decree. I encourage you to engage um, 
and to be a peacemaker and to seek um, understanding, you know, with people who have um, have different, you know, different viewpoints about these questions. And let's let's try to grow in clarification of our unique identity and our callings as Jesus followers.